Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Hello. Hello. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. A little better. Okay. Yeah. Again, this is like too good to be true. Just like how healthy these. Okay, now I'm now I'm softening a little bit. It, it's it's one of those closer. almost like we know what we're doing kind of things. I know. We we can almost get away with saying we're professional now. Getting close. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's not I, stretch I, the truth. Oh, cut, yeah. <laughs> I like the thought at least. It's a it's a good one to keep around. Because because I, I very much enjoy this setting. I very much enjoy doing this show. So uh, the idea of this being professional is uh, is quite a pleasant thought to me. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate, at least to some degree. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. With me is George. And uh, this is episode eight. We are in November of uh, 2015 now. And uh, we have a lot to talk about today. George, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. Back in the Darien studio. And, we are. Uh, it's feeling feeling right. I mean, we've been on the road, which has been great, but it's nice to get back to the roots, you know? I agree. I agree. And uh, on a brewing weekend, what better time to uh, record a show? We just got back from Chicago Brew Works to pick up ingredients for our uh, next recipe, which we'll be brewing up tomorrow, which uh, will be a topic for a later show. But... Um, Along with uh, the ingredient pickup, we have a beer courtesy of Chicago Brew Works and uh, Brew, uh, I'm sorry, Workforce Brewing, which is brewed right there on site uh, with the shop. George and I sampled a couple of uh, their, their brews earlier today. We found one we liked. And today's, today's recording will be fueled by <laughs> an oatmeal stout made by Workforce Brewing. This was a, this was a solid, solid taste that we had earlier today. And uh, we're going to pour this and, uh, and get things started. So, okay. There you go. Always a good was, sign. Man. He must have cranked that on there good. He really did. I was not quite expecting such a fight to get that off. Oh, look at that. It, uh, oh, he taped it. That's that why. seal around it. Okay, that's wow. Okay. I didn't know they did that. Well, you know, remember the last... Well, no, that wasn't them, was it? I was going to say with the wax, that, but that, that wasn't them. That was that uh, was the last studio show that we did. That was the... Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we had we had quite the battle getting through that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, not quite the battle this time, but uh, one nonetheless. Oh, and to get started, we're, uh, we're going to uh, dive into this oatmeal stout, and we're going to do a live review of this. Okay. Uh, just won't be a first taste because we did taste it a couple hours ago, but uh, we have traveled back to the Darien Studios here, and we're uh, pouring it out of the growler for the first time. So cheers, my friend. Still good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a little worried we'd have kind of a cheerleader effect thing going on, but... <laughs> Could be. But no, it's, it's a good standalone beer, nice and toasty, and it's got a really good head to it, even though I know you guys can't see that. Um, yeah, nice and foamy and little subtle dark notes, which I like a lot. I agree. I agree. When we were talking in the brewery, we had mentioned that um, a stout is a go-to uh, style for me. I know it's one you enjoy as well. Absolutely, yes. And this, uh, the ABV on this was a little bit lower than some of the other stouts out there. 
this came in at about 5.4%, I believe. Yep, exactly. And thought it was just the right beer to uh, session along for our recording here today. So I think we chose wisely. We looked at the 13% barley wine, but thought we might be a drooling mass of... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we could do a show with that, but it, it may or may not be listenable at that point. <laughs> Lots of edits that would be necessary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the editing would have our work cut off for us on that. Anyways, we're going to segue into our first topic. This will be other brews reviewed, uh, beers that we had recently that we liked or did not like, and we'll uh, we'll talk about what we've had and and uh, share our thoughts on that. George, you want to start us off, start us off with your first one? Sure. Um, this is one style that has been coming to both of our attentions lately, and one I think we're going to be um, working up a recipe for and brewing here in the relatively near future. Uh, it's called a Scotch Ale, or uh, sometimes also called a Wee Heavy. Um, I just saw that term for the first time earlier today. Yeah. I, if, if you know something about this, I'd love to know. Oh, no, no idea why it's oh, called okay. that, but I do know <laughs> it's sometimes called a wee heavy. Uh, and the, the one I had was uh, from Hermitage, and it's called Maltopia. So Hermitage, not from, not out of Scotland, it's out of, I believe, California. Okay. Um, but they did a very good representation of a Scotch ale. Uh, it is red and brown in color. Uh, that in keeping with the style, it's a little bit higher in alcohol content, around 9%. And it does have a little bit of hop character. Uh, at about 25 IBUs. The things that kind of stood out for me, though, and what stands out for me in the style as a whole is how full the body is. A Scotch Ale, for me, is is without it, it, without being like stout or porter in character. It's one of the most full body type beers that I, I've had in a long time. And in the other part for me is that there's a little bit of a tart character to it. It's not quite a sour beer, but there's a little bit of a tart char- character to it that kind of balances the the body and and the malty ingredients, and so you get this little bit of sweetness, you get a little bit of tartness, and it's just a very very um, good style, and this is a great representation of it. Nice. I uh, I describe that full bodiness of the um, of the Scotch ales as distinct. That's really the term that really stands out for me as yeah. far as far as that. It it is a it, there's no mistakening. Uh, there's is that even a word mistakening? No. Okay. There's no mis- <laughs> there's no mistaking a uh, a Scotch ale. It's a very distinct beer, and it's one that I've I've definitely grown to enjoy. I uh, I will be reviewing a Scotch ale later on in the show as well. So uh, yeah, and probably a recipe for us to try in the near future. I know we've talked about that. Let's let's make it happen. Yeah, I mean, as the name implies, it's an ale-style recipe, so no lagering required for that uh, for that beer. And so it's a good one to make kind of all year round so you don't have to worry about temperatures and lagering. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, it is a little higher in the alcohol content, so it's going to take a little bit longer to ferment. Uh, it's not very um, carbonation-rich. So not quite flat, but not very carbonation rich. So you'll have you'll you'll have some, but it'll be lower in vols and C, uh, in in CO two concentration. So if you're kegging it or if you're using uh, corn sugar, you won't have to use as much on this. Good point. Good point. There will be a theme to my brews reviewed today. Um, I have been traveling recently. Uh, business has taken me a couple of different locations. Um, 
Last month, I was in Atlanta, Georgia for a number of days to, uh, for, to conduct some business, and I also visited some family up there. Uh, I'm going to review three beers. All three of these beers were, uh, were had during my trip to Atlanta. And uh, I'll, uh, start it, uh, I'll start this off with, uh, with the first one. This is from an uh, Atlanta-based brewery called Sweetwater Brewing Company. They're out of Atlanta. The story behind this is I flew in uh, late one night, got checked in, kind of walked around the area just to see what was around, found myself in a local place. I sat down at the bar and I asked the bartender, do you have anything that's, uh, that's brewed locally? And he made this recommendation to me to try the uh, Sweetwater IPA. So he poured it, gave it to me. Uh, at first glance, this beer looked more like an amber ale than an IPA. It was uh, it was a darker color. It was it was a, it had amber ale characteristics. Uh, it had a hoppy and also very fruity aroma to it. Not 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 so not such not such a bitter aroma that you come to expect from uh, from an IPA. The ABV I had to look this up online through Beer Advocate. The uh, ABV is six point three percent, so also a little bit low for an IPA. The taste was also very mellow, kind of in consistency with the uh, with the lower uh, ABV. So this kind of falls to me as a beer that's kind of a mellow IPA. And if you like a mellow IPA, this is a good choice. I was I think I was looking for something a little bit stronger than that 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 night than the mellowness that that uh, that had brought on. But overall, for a mellow IPA, it gets the job done. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I've had uh, Sweetwater is one that's that's around here too. I had it, I think, when we were over at Reggie's at the uh, Voyager Evergrey <clears throat> show. Um, yeah, and it was one of those. I think it was the IPA too. The Sweetwater was really? it the 420 or which one was it? I looked it up online. It's it's on there is just Sweetwater IPA. There's okay. no other name to it. Okay. Yeah, I mean uh, the the one I had was. Um, you know, I would describe it as a little stronger. So I wonder if it was a different variety of what they have. So. Or maybe it's a different brewery and they just don't know that they're using the same name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I suppose that's possible too. I'm sure they'll figure that out in a hilarious court case at some point. Might be by way uh, of this show. <laughs> Can you imagine if that ha- if that happened? If if our show became the uh, became the center point of a lawsuit like that. <laughs> I really hope that doesn't happen. I'm not putting it out there to, to make that happen. We are not available for comment. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Testimony, so. no. Sorry. <laughs> so um, my next one, okay, so we talked with Ed Ed, Ed Milnar over at uh, Pollyanna Brewing last time. Episode 7. Episode 7. And uh, one of the ones he brought up was Eleanor Porter, which is named after the author Eleanor Porter. And uh, it's one that I've had before, but has, we've never really reviewed it on the show. I know he went on about it for a little while, but we've never really reviewed it on the show. And I, I wanted to kind of showcase it a little bit because it is a very, very solid beer. Uh, it's about six and 6.8%, 35 IBU, um, but that's not the, the meat of it. What's the, really the meat of it is how it's constructed uh, and what really goes into it and what flavors you get out of it. You get a lot of really dark chocolate flavors. It's almost a little smoky in how it comes through. Uh, definitely has the porter body to it. 
and you know they use german hops it's all german hops inside that beer and that really kind of comes through in a hoppy character which is a little unusual for a porter like to have a little extra hoppy character but it's a very mellow extra hoppy character because of those german kind of noble hops that are in there so if if you're in the illinois lamont area i definitely recommend checking it out and eleanor can be found outside of pollyanna is that yes. correct yeah i know that it is at the at the cell um the u.s cellular field um when the white Sox are playing yes <laughs> <laughs> and a few other places but yeah it can be found kind of in the in the regional area for sure okay yeah, Ed's stories about, first of all, if you haven't heard episode seven, it's an excellent episode. Ed it really has a wealth of knowledge, and he shared shared a lot of it with us during that show. And he did talk in great detail about Eleanor and uh, the, the things they do with it, the aging, and just kind of that they've all, um, they've all really enjoy Eleanor, that it's really a flagship beer there. So, I think yeah. he, he was talking about barrel aging Eleanor, I believe. He did. Um, he so did. I'm really kind of intrigued to see how that comes out. Is that an upcoming release? I, I think can't... it is. I think they, because they had some barrels there that they hadn't used for their Orenda. I remember um, that. But I think they were whiskey barrels that they were going to do this in. Um, and I think that really could come out very nicely. If that's the first time they've done that, then we need to make our way over there and make sure. I think sure we, we might. Yeah. I think we might. That sounds pretty fantastic. So... Okay, my second uh, my second brew reviewed. This goes to the second day of my uh, trip to Atlanta. I will preface this by uh, by saying this will be one of the most glowing reviews that I've ever given on this show. <laughs> and um, throughout the craft uh, beer scene, one one does tend to not only develop um, certain go to flavors of beer that you've particularly enjoy and ones that you more frequently will go back to than some others. I feel the same way about certain breweries. There's certain breweries that really stand out as consistently making just awesome beers. And for me, that one that's really standing out right now is Founders Brewing Company out of Grand Rapids. They, they over the entire spectrum of the things that they do, they're just consistently coming out with just amazing beers. The, the first, I think my first exposure with Founders was Dirty Bastard, which is a Scotch ale, like the uh, the first one that you reviewed. Dirty Bastard is becoming a go-to for me, is really a solid, solid example of a Scotch ale. Um, they also have a, uh, have a specialty Imperial Stout called Founders KBS. Uh, it's not. It's one that's a little bit difficult to find, but if you ever do and you ever have a chance to try it, it's well worth it. Uh, the one I'm, the one that I tried in in Atlanta was a beer called Founders Breakfast Stout, which is an imperial uh, stout. It's uh, if you look this up on BeerAdvocate.com, uh, the details are uh, it's an imperial stout brewed with oat flakes. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. I'll backtrack. It's an imperial stout brewed with flaked oats, bitter and sweetened imported chocolates, Sumatra and Kona coffee. The taste captures the, co- uh, the both the chocolate and the coffee, and the the uh, the purpose of the oats is really just to soften the finish of this beer. It comes in at 8.3 alcohol by volume, and it is just fantastic. It's it's one of the most solid stouts I've ever had. 
I have I I believe you probably can come across it around here. I either have not kept a lookout for it or just didn't uh, didn't recognize it when I when I walked by it. This is a fantastic beer. If you come across this, you got to try it. Hmm. It's it's fantastic. That certainly is a glowing review. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stouts being squarely in your wheelhouse. I can't say I'm terribly surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the coffee notes, were they aggressive or were they kind of in the background in that? It was distinct. It was distinct. It it was. It was. Yeah. It it was one of the, it was one of the first pickup flavors you, you, you tasted up when you first took your first sip. And for me, that's a good thing. I've really come to enjoy coffee over the last couple of years and I think the coffee notes and a good beer like a stout I think is a is a great combination mm-hmm. well it reminds me of when um, between the last studio show and this one we did a um, beer show called session fest or sesh fest yes we did and one of the brews that the guys over at workforce brought was a stout that was a little higher in ABV. The rules, again, for Seshfest were under 5%. So they needed to find a way to dilute it a little bit, and they chose to do one-third coffee for every two-thirds beer. And so that was a a stout that was very, very coffee-forward on that. And I remember you enjoyed that quite a bit as well. I very much did, and I'm really glad you brought that up. I couldn't remember all those details as well as you just uh, you just mentioned them, and I'm really glad he did. Yeah, it's really tempting to do an experiment like that, like that as well. Um, it's uncharted territory. I uh, uh, don't fully know all the details of kind of doing it properly, but uh, yeah, it's tempting. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it might be in our future. We're talking about we were just talking about playing with some of our more established recipes, and so we have a stout, and I have a. French press coffee maker, so I think that might happen at some point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, my last one will be not quite as glowing of a review, but uh, <laughs> it's made by the Lucid Brewing Company, and it's called Aura, O-R-A. Okay. This I had up in a, uh, a steakhouse in Minnesota, um, which makes me sound a whole lot more fancy than I actually am. Uh, I was up there for, for work and taking some clients out, and we went to this steakhouse. And so their, while their wine selection was awesome, their beer selection literally re- written on a napkin when, uh, when, when I was presented it by the, by the waitress. Wow. Yeah, not so great. But this is one that was kind of a standout on there. Um, it was a... Amber red ale and uh, about thirty IBU, so a little hoppy, and it was six point five percent alcohol. The thing that kind of made this stand out from other amber red ales is it had a little bit of caramel toasted flavor that you would expect from that, but then below that, it had kind of a layer of smoke. I was a little disappointed when I tried it at first because we had just made a smoked porter. And, which we'll talk about later, and the waitress presented to me as a smoked beer, um, which I wouldn't say is absolutely accurate with how Aura is set up. It's There is a very, very subtle smoke f- character to it, but it's not a smoked beer. So if you go, if you go into it, go into it expecting a 
caramel type toasty flavor to it but with just an underlying layer of smoke um and it you know is it, it was a it was a good beer i think i ended up having two of them before we left so uh it, it, it was good but um just kind of know what you're going into I'm having a difficult time just wrapping my brain around the fact that their beer menu was written on a napkin. <laughs> that is so strange to me. Well, the thing is they didn't really have a beer menu. You know, a lot of people, you know, you think steak or fish, you know, which is one of the two things that they were predominantly making. You right. think steak, you think red wine, fish, white wine. You don't, people traditionally don't think, let's have a beer, you know, so... I can I, I can agree with that to to a large degree, but there's definitely going to be somebody coming in there that just wants a beer. Case in point, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so so let's take that one step further. If you had to pick one go to style to drink with a steak, what would it be? Oh, an amber ale, an amber ale, I think is a solid choice. I don't know if there's one that would be kind of a better fit. Yeah, no, an amber ale, nice <clears throat> kind of middle of the road in in color and character, so it's not gonna be overridden by or override the flavors of the steak i think it is a good it is a good uh choice for that i agree yeah i agree that's good so i chose well yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking forward to talking about our smoked beer in the second uh, segment anyway i'm going to talk about my uh last uh last brew reviewed uh this was had on my last night in the georgia area um business for me had uh had finished up I made a trip to the northern part of Georgia to visit my mom and dad, who uh, live in an area just about 45 minutes north of Atlanta. We uh, we went out to the uh, downtown area of the town that they live, and I ordered a beer from a local brewery. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I ordered a beer uh, from a brewery local down there in the Atlanta area. The name of the brewery is called Monday Night Brewing, and they make a beer called the Drafty Kilt Scotch Ale. Okay. So we're uh, we're coming full circle here. We started uh, started things talking about a Scotch Ale, and we're going to end things talking about a Scotch Ale too. As I mentioned before, when I was talking about uh, founders, I'd mentioned the Dirty Bastard had become a, kind of a go-to for me, and is is a really solid choice for a Scotch Ale, which it is. Um, when I think of Scotch Ale, what comes to mind is a strong caramel taste. Uh, you know, heavy, heavy on the malts, uh, heavy on the sweetness, light on the hops, and dirty bastard really encompasses all that. And for me, this drafty kilt Scotch ale encapsulated all that as well. It, it was every good thing that you like about about a Scotch ale, and was right there. It was a it was a solid uh, solid Scotch ale. The one thing I'll add about this. Um, there was a small hint of a smoke flavor to it, which is more distinct than you'd find with other Scotch ales. I'm not 100% sure if, if some smoking is involved in the recipe or not, but I, I caught a hint of it. Hmm. Uh, the ABV came in at 7.2, so a good, strong Scotch ale. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a good uh, good place to be at, and uh, I got I got to... Thank my mom and dad for bringing me out and introducing me to that. Mom and dad, if you're listening, I love you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to wonder if the smoke character was intentional or if it was just a byproduct of the the malts. That's what I'm wondering, too. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. 
Because I, I, I got to admit, I've never heard of a smoked Scotch ale. So I may have to look that up to <laughs> see if I can confirm one way or another. Either way, my uh, the next time I'm in Atlanta, I will drink another one of those At, for sure. It sounds like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up the first uh, first segment. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back uh, to our segment two. We have two brews to talk about on this one. We have a uh, we have a smoked porter, and we also have a brown ale. So uh, stick with us. Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. We're going into our second segment. George is conducting business right now, but I thought <laughs> <Sorry>. we'd uh, <laughs> got to do what you got to do. It's all good. Uh, anyway, we're uh, th- we're in segment number two. We're going to talk about our uh, recent brewing activities. We have made a smoked porter, and we have made a brown ale. And we're going to start off by talking about the uh, the smoked beer, uh, th- and it's Ties in a little bit from our from the last uh, beer that, it, that was reviewed, where we were talking about a Scotch ale that had a bit of a smoke flavor to it. Um, I'll put a frame around this, and this is kind of where where the idea for doing this got started. We attend two uh, two different brew club meetings every month. Uh, one's in a in a in a town where where George lives, right down right down the street from where he's at. And a couple months ago, I think it was late during the summer, one of our club members came with a smoked beer. That was fantastic, and he was able to give some very vivid details about everything that went into it and everything he did. It was this is this is overstating it, but he really sounded like a rocket scientist, like like a <laughs> rocket scientist of beer makers when talking about this. Just just the level of detail that he had gotten in with making this, and. It showed. It was a fantastic beer. It was everything that it should have been. So George and I got the idea, we need to try something like this too, because this is just too good not to. So this was our uh, this was our first try at it. We uh, went with a porter, and uh, I'll let George go into some of the ingredients and some of the uh, some of the decisions we made with uh, how we went about uh, about the recipe. Well, let's start with the fact that we were originally talking about a smoked IPA. That's a good point. Yes, we did. Neither of us had ever heard of a smoked IPA, and we thought, well, that would be innovative and fun. Innovative, yes. And then we (laughs) figured out why. Uh, (laughs) The smoked flavor kind of overrides hoppiness. Right. So those two elements, the the hoppiness of an IPA and the smoke flavor, don't play well together. So that's not really... After thinking about that for a while and thinking about how the heck are we going to make that work with, you know, having both of those flavors represented, we decided we're not going to do that. So we then took an old porter recipe that I had, tweaked that a little bit, and that became the base for the smoked porter. So what we did was, uh, to give you some idea here, this was a five-gallon recipe, it's eight and a half percent, and its original gravity was... 1087. So that means that, you know, this was pretty sizable grain bill, and it kind of shows here. It was 14 pounds of Maris Otter Pale Ale, 2.5 pounds of caramel, and almost a pound of chocolate malt. It also had some Chinook and East Kent Golding for the hops in there as well. 
Um, but this, what we, what we did to get the smoked is instead of buying smoked malt, I got a book that I'll talk about later and figured out some smoking techniques. So I took, I think it was about a pound and a half or two pounds of the Maris Otter. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if you if you read about the the recommended uh, percentage blend of smoked grains versus your total grain bill, I believe the 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 percentage to uh, to aim for is between five and ten percent of the total grain bill. Is that correct? Well, it depends on how you're smoking. Um, in the method that we were smoking, it could be as high as 15%. Um, it depends on your smoking efficiency, how much of that smoke character gets into the grains and everything. So when we were done, you know, it was, it was a pretty heavy smoke going into it. And so when we were done and I put the grains back into the rest of the grain bill, it turned out to be about 6% of the total grist. Right. Um, which I think we've mentioned it before, but grist is unmashed grains. So that's that. That's when you put all the grains together. It's called grist, and so you take a certain percentage of that and you smoke it. Usually, the base malts, not the specialty malts, because you don't want to override those flavors or characters. So I took the Maris Otter, the pale malt, and smoked that. Added it back in, and thus we had a smoked porter. One one thing that I remember very well about the beginning of that brew day is the smoked grains being kept in the oven just to keep the keep a steady warmth to the grains after the smoking was complete, and just to taste how much of the smoke characteristics had made its way to the grain. I remember both of us took a small little pinch of the grains that had been smoked and ate them. And I remember that smoke flavor was on my mouth for another half a day. Yeah, I mean, it just it just did not go away. Lingered for a while. It yeah, really, it really sure. did. So I mean, there's a there's a reason why they say uh, go for a lower percentage, like five to fifteen percent of your total grain bill, because the smoking has a dramatic effect on on the uh, total grain bill. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be. It definitely will. It definitely will have a dramatic effect. And so, you know, you want to start off low. 15% is actually considered a high percentage for smoked grains in a oh, in yeah. a grain bill. So, you know, we, we wanted to start off a little lower. And at 6%, you know, that smoke character just came through like gangbusters. And, it really and, did. And it was, it was very good. Now, to your point about the keeping it in the oven, that was to help the drying out process and making sure that because you want to, you know, when you smoke the grains, depending on the the style that you use to smoke it, a lot of times they'll be wet or moist when you're smoking the grains. So you want to dry them out before you put them into the mash. Right. So that's what I was trying to do in the oven. Now, in retrospect, and if we did this again, I would probably try to smoke it prior to the day. Um, because one of the things that kind of got in the way of us hitting our numbers exactly the way we wanted to was that those grains were a high, higher temperature. They were probably they were probably like a hundred degrees when we put them into the to the mash. And the effect of that was our mash temperature became a little bit higher than what we were aiming for. Right. Yeah. So we made some adjustments. I think we extended the boil time a little bit to compensate for that. And it came out it came out well, but you know. 
using history as a teacher, we would uh, try to smoke those a couple days prior, let them dry out. And then be able to put them into the into the mash at, at room temperature. Right, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's definitely one to do again. Yeah, no, it definitely. I mean, despite all that, it tastes very good, and you know, was a good uh, learning experience. Agreed. So, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, no big uh, specialty equipment needed. If you have a smoker, a smoker works great. If uh, if you want to just do a quick and dirty version, all you really need is a charcoal grill, and you can smoke it on the on the charcoal grill. Just be really careful about flame ups, about singeing your grains, and because uh, that can provide some off flavors to your to your smoked beer. And you know you can do a very good um, smoked beer just out of off of a charcoal grill. And on that same note, there's an indirect smoking method that I know you applied using the charcoal grill. Yes. Where you had the coals on one side of the, let's see if I can describe this right. The coals being used for in the grill were on one side of the grill and the air vent was purposely on the other side of the grill. Correct. And to vent, when you ventilated that, uh, the, the top of the grill, that would, force a sideways motion of the smoke and through that sideways track that it would go over would be the grains right yeah am i describing that right you are uh so i had the grains on a on a net on the on uh, just for expedient sake let's say the left side of the grill and on the right side of the grill is where i had the coals and the moistened uh chips on right on top of the coals and so then yeah they produce smoke and then i purposefully put the vent above the grains and not above the smoke and the coals to force it through the grains as it was leaving the charcoal grill it's worth mentioning too about the uh, potential of burning grains yes any burnt grains will show up in the final flavor of the beer yeah and is something to be actively avoided yeah i mean if you have a actual smoker be it electric or what whatnot that's going to be your ideal way to go. Sure. You're going to be able to control that temperature, keep it at like an even 200, and just have an even smoke the whole time. Uh, if not, and you're doing it on a charcoal grill like I did, just be really careful not to singe the grains and cause those off flavors. So, shall we go on to the brown ale? Sure. Okay. Good deal. Um, we made a brown ale. <laughs> About a month and a half ago. Wow. The worst introduction of all time. <laughs> we made a brown ale. We did. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess getting started with this, uh, part of the inspiration, or I guess the start of the brown ale, uh, came from the aftermath of making the pumpkin pie stout, which we had made one brew prior to making the brown ale. Um, many things went right making the... Uh, making the pumpkin pie stout. Um, one of them being, and, and I'll, and I'll start with this was the, uh, choice of the base grain being Maris Otter. Uh, Maris Otter is known for contributing kind of a nutty flavor to the beer. We use the same beer for the smoked Porter that we had just mentioned. Um, Maris Otter does come with a cost premium, but if you like a fuller body nutty flavor to a beer, which I'm one of them. It's it's a it's an added price that's well worth paying. So we uh, 
we kind of kind of built the recipe from there. It was it was kind of just a it was a style we've uh, we had not made before. It was a style that we really couldn't pick a beer that uh, would be a go to as far as that flavor. I never really had a brown ale that I that screamed at me. Wow, I need to have more of this. Um, so it was it was kind of a kind of a challenge, and um, so we went with it. A um, couple other uh, malts. It, it, it does have a heavy uh, grain bill. Uh, it is a ten, uh, ten gallon recipe. We used sixteen pounds of uh, Maris Otter. We used uh, one point six pounds of caramel, uh, twelve ounces of Thomas and Fawcett, and uh, as a boil addition, two pounds of brown sugar. Um, back to our friends at uh, Chicago Brew Works. I'm getting there. Oh, I'm getting oh, there. Oh, no, you're getting it. <laughs> it's all good. My bad. <laughs> Back to our friends at Chicago Brewworks for a second. Um, the staff there is fantastic, and they're also very knowledgeable. It's it's rare that we'll ever go to Brewworks uh, to buy re- uh, to buy ingredients for a recipe where we'll not run the recipe by who's ever working there and kind of get their take on what we uh, what if anything we could do differently. And for this particular recipe, it was recommended that we add uh, twelve ounces of biscuit malt, which is a, a Dingaman's uh, lighter colored uh, uh, malt. Uh, and I guess the use of this would be uh, to con- uh, contribute kind of a... Um, bready. Bready. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, like a bready type type feel to it, which um, I guess we'll we'll find out soon if it uh, if it came through. But it was, I think it was a sound and in, in, uh, in very positive recommendation. So... Another another thing, another reason for uh, <laughs> another reasons to like our friends over at Chicago Brew Works. Thanks, guys. Uh, the hot bill we had Magnum, Cascade, and and Fuggle, so a little bit light on the um, on the uh, hop characteristics. And the yeast was a uh, was two packages of British Ale thirteen thirty five. Yeah, so this was one of our more complex grain bills. Like it was heavy. For sure, but well, it was we, we went in with four, and we ended up coming out with five. We came out with five, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was one of our more complex grain bills, but um, I think I think it'll show through in the in the character of the beer. So definitely one that I think is uh, is good, and we're actually going to be contributing it part of it, half of it to a barrel project yes, with we our are. local homebrew. Uh, if you guys are part of a homebrew club and you have the opportunity to do this, I'd say jump on it. Uh, one of the brewer that we work with got his hands on a 55-gallon drum um, of former whiskey barrel. And so we're all – a bunch of people in the group are brewing up about five gallons apiece, and we're going to throw it all in the barrel, let it – sit there and cure for a while and see how it comes out 55 gallons worth this is this is a first for us i know the club has done projects like this in the past we have not been present for it just because because of uh timing we just joined the group about a year ago and this is the first one that's uh that's come up since then i agree i'm excited about being a part of it yeah well okay so part of the brew day um this one to just comment on that um went very well um, when we did the mash for the brown, we did have a little bit of trouble in it first. 
we uh, are trying a new method of getting to the temperature that we need. We've been trying to bring it up to the temperature that we need and then put it into the mash tun, but our thought on that was that it was not consistent. You know, the water on the bottom would be warmer than the water on the top, and so right. the temperature inside the ma- inside the boil kettle would not be consistent when it goes into the mash tun. So what we decided to try this time, and it kind of worked out pretty well, was to take the the water and bring it up above the temperature we need and then, it, then let it fall to the temperature. So right. that way it could be a lot more consistent. Um, I don't think we hit the nail on the head as uh, pr- quite perfectly because when we did put it into the mash, the temperature turned a little low. Right. So then uh, I ran into my kitchen and boiled up, almost boiled. I got it to about 190 degrees, uh, one gallon of water to add to the mash tun to bring it up to the appropriate temperature. And the correct term with that is a step infusion. Yes, yeah, yeah step infusion. So um, we took that, infused that into the liquid, and it came up to the right temperature and, and stayed there for long enough to do the mash. And then, you know, the original gravity after we were done with the, the boil um, was right where we needed it to be. Right. Yeah. So... We are get we have really come a long way as far as the controlling the mash temperatures. I know that was uh, th- that was an area of difficulty for us for a number of months. I really think we've we've made strides towards doing that properly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what a difference those couple of degrees make. I was having a conversation with somebody else about this just within the last week. It is just amazing what five degrees of difference in a mash will do to a beer. It's it's a totally different beer yeah. at, at that point. And your thresholds are also very small because I think I think the range is 149 degrees to 170. And if you're at 170, um, you're doing the opposite of what you're trying to do during a mash, which is extract the sugars. Right, because uh, about 170 is where it'll stop reactions. Exactly. So... So yeah, so I mean, every one that we've done so far has been between 149 and I think 155. Yeah, yeah, so, sounds right. Yeah, you're right. Five, six degrees. You, it's not a whole lot of room to play with there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear uh, hear other other brewers' um, experience with this. So if you want to hit us up on uh, on one of our social media pages, either Facebook or Twitter or our website www dot com tell us about your your mash temperature stories and uh if you've had difficulties and if you have uh as many brewers have what what made the difference in improving it i'd be i'd be curious to hear uh one of the point about the brown ale that uh that i I feel i should um i should make uh is of the time of this recording which is november of 2015 we are approaching thanksgiving and um the brown ale i will be using to make a brine for thanksgiving turkey uh, I found the recipe here. I will I will give uh, give kudos to this magazine. It's called Brew Your Own, and it had uh, it had a recipe for uh, for brining a turkey using craft beer, and I just happened to mention three different styles of beer as ideal choices for use of making a, uh, a brine, and lo and behold, one of those was a brown ale. And so I thought, ding, ding, ding. Okay, I'm reading this for a reason. I, I, I came came across this for a reason. This must happen. So we're going to give it a shot. See uh, see how it works. Yeah, brown ale, brine turkey. Yeah, so. exactly. 
<laughs> we'll we'll see uh, by uh, by uh, by the next recording. We'll we'll see if this uh, this this could go very badly or could go very well. I guess we'll see. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up, and we're gonna go to uh, segment three. We're gonna talk uh, we're gonna talk about the pursuit of knowledge uh, in regards to uh, home brewing and improving your home brewing. So stick with us. Getting thirsty for this breakfast out again. You have to uh, slake your thirst with some oatmeal stout instead. That sounds like a plan. I mean, it is oatmeal's breakfasty, so yeah, in lieu of that, it you, is. Know, you have something to drink. Yeah. I'd say this is a solid oatmeal stout. It is. Yeah. And a howler's worth is just right for a show. It is. Yeah. Anyways, let's see if I can make this. Uh, make, can I be somewhat professional? Professional? At least we can try. <laughs> <laughs> Keyword, try. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll give it the best effort. You oh. know, we'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> and action. <laughs> Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. This is segment number three. As I uh, mentioned before the break, we're going to talk about the pursuit of knowledge about home brewing and improving your home brewing. And many different av- avenues to do do this. Um, the biggest thing, as we've said in, in previous shows, and I will continue to echo, is um, your local homebrew club. The knowledge that you get from talking to people and sharing beers you can't even can't even compare. It's it's huge, and uh, and that's it's really a cornerstone and key key way to improve what you're doing. Um, podcasts, such <laughs> as a nice place to brew, is also a great great source of knowledge as well. And, and of course, uh, no conversation about the pursuit of knowledge is ever complete without talking about books. And brewing is a subject that's been around for, obviously, centuries. And there's been a lot of knowledge gained um, throughout that long period of time. So the volume of books out there on home brewing techniques is very extensive. Um, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm not a huge reader myself. I'm not proud of that. George here uh, is a much uh, much better uh, reader than I am, and he uh, he's covered a lot more books than uh, than I have. And uh, he's got a list of uh, some really solid books uh, that are really good, really can be go tos for anybody who's looking to improve their home brewing. Yeah, um, I'm not. You know, I, I I'm sad to say that I'm not a huge reader of leisure books myself. I uh, um, I have trouble with reading quickly so it gets frustrating for me so i'm more along the lines of technical manuals and things like that so these kind of speak to me a little bit um that makes that sound them sound a lot more dry than they actually are um but you know the brewing books are meant to a lot of them are meant to instruct you on something and so they do read a little bit like a manual uh on how to brew right and so if a lot of them, you'll kind of be a little choosy about what you read in there. You go to certain sections and you'll zero in on certain things. Like if you want to learn how to make a yeast starter or 
how to brew in a bag or things like that. You kind of zero in on those. And a lot of them are, are meant to, you know, that's, that's what they're there for. That's what they're meant to be used as. Right. And so a lot of these fall into that. The first one uh, is actually called how to brew. And this is, <laughs> this is where I started. I got this book along with a truly horrible kit and started reading that. Um, unfortunately, the kit kind of scared me away from brewing for a little bit. And I came back after a little while after reading the book again and tried again with Jason. And that's when things kind of got started for us. But this book is phenomenal. Um, it's straight out of the 1970s. All of the pictures are black and white. Um, but the information inside the book is phenomenal. And it's in a very easy-to-read format. It has instruction on how to do uh, everything from extract to all grain to yeast starters to setting up equipment and uh, pretty much everything you need to know on how to set up equip how to set up your your setup and and brew beer for yourself. If this is the only book you have, it's a good one to to start with. We'll say that again. How to brew. Yes, by uh, John Palmer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And written in the 1970s, did you say? Well, I'm not sure, but if you look at the pictures and things, it kind of seems like it's you know straight out of the 1970s. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's not to dismiss any book that was written in that era, because a lot no. of those elements that, that were used back then still apply today. Yes. I mean, they were mashing. They were fermenting, just as you know the techniques are today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like I said, it's one that I would definitely recommend. Um, you can find this and actually all the books I'm going to talk about on Amazon. Uh, some, a lot of them are in ebook format, if that's where you want to go. Uh, some of these, I believe, are also in audiobook format, but it's the more narrative ones that end up in that format. So Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I would highly recommend that one. Uh, the next one that I read was Radical Brewing. This one it takes a little bit more of a historical slant. And Radical Brewing is about different styles and how to brew different styles. And it teaches you about kind of where the style came from, gives you some examples, and kind of gives you some recipes to work from to attempt to make that style. Here's the thing that really stood out for me about Radical Brewing is for every section and every recipe that's in that book they give you three different kinds of recipes an extract an extract plus specialty grain and an all grain version in every single one and that's really valuable yeah and so it'll it so you can make it in different ways as you evolve your brewing capabilities and your equipment you can make remake a recipe that you made before in a different style and see how it compares and see how uh, you know an all grain setup will affect what you're doing and you know if you know that the extract came out well um, because it's a little bit easier to hit your targets and things with an extract you can compare that extract recipe to what you're doing with an extract plus specialty or an all grain and see what you need to tweak in those in order to get the recipe more in line with what you're expecting right so it's, it's another one i would recommend uh it is by a name called uh by a name <laughs> by a guy named randy mosher that's m-o-s-h-e-r and uh it is 
it's it's a very well constructed um, book, and it has a little bit of a sense of humor, which is nice. You know, you'll you'll be reading; it's a little sarcastic in his writing. It has a little bit of a sense of humor. I like that. Yeah, yeah. For for, for like a a book that kind of works as like a how to guide, like like you described about many of these books. Mm-hmm. I think to throw in a little bit of character like that, I think goes a long way. Yeah. So the next one, and uh, I'm you know just going to talk about these here. I want to kind of talk about a, a periodical. Uh, Jason alluded to it in um, earlier on. It's called Brew Your Own. Uh, he's holding up for some reason. Um, this is the Sports Illustrated for, for brewers. It's um, It comes out, I believe, monthly, and it's got a website you can also sign up for. It has really good information on that. I'll give that out. It's www.byo.com. Yes. And it's it's got like it does different themes and different ideas and it has interviews with brewers. It has uh um homebrew recipes inside, uh different tech it's uh different articles about different techniques. Uh, the one that is on here We'll give you a step-by-step guide on how to build a counterflow chiller, which is one um, it's one thing that is very helpful when trying to chill beer and being able to crash your beer in a way that is going to allow those proteins to drop out. So it's it's one of those things that if if you're looking for something that is not a book, but is something that you can read, you know, throw in the, the bathroom for, you know, those times. <laughs> or if you're taking a train into work, it's definitely a good one to to hang on to and have uh, have coming to you. I agree. And and just to mention one other article that's in the latest issue, um, we mentioned because the, uh, the two... Uh, the two different projects that we talked about in segment number two, which were the uh, smoked porter and the brown ale, both of these beers featured um, a base malt of Maris Otter, which mm-hmm. is a premium cost of uh, base grain. And uh, this month just happened to uh, kind of fall into the 50th anniversary of sorts for Maris Otter. So there's a detailed, detailed article about Maris Otter malts. Uh, in this magazine, and some interesting stuff, so, some things I, I never, uh, never even would have thought of. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a good read. Yeah. So I just got two more. These ones get a little bit more kind of less instructional and more uh, kind of interesting, and kind of giving you the different aspects of beer and beer making. Uh, the next one is called "The Complete Beer Course" by Joshua Bernstein. And this one actually has nothing to do with making beer. This has everything to do... I'm listening. ...with tasting beer. This dude is ah, a professional... Okay. He's a professional beer taster. And so he wrote a book on how you can train your palate to be able to understand the different styles, understand what you should and should not be tasting in those styles, and how to detect things like off flavors and uh um you know different characters like malty or smoky or sweet or you know uh fruity or anything like that how to be able to to detect those and be able to objectively critique yours as well as other beers so somebody who has aspirations of being a beer judge this is probably a really ideal book for them yes absolutely yeah if you're uh if you definitely if you're wanting to 
go down that get get uh, go through the judging courses would be a good one to start with for sure and what was the title of that one again that's called the complete beer course the complete beer course mm-hmm. and there's one more there there's one more here this is not one book it's multiple um this is called the classic beer style series and i discovered this one because when i um when we encountered the guy that made the smoked beer um we said we wanted to to learn that style and give it a shot and so i did a quick search on amazon looking for a book on smoked beers and smoked beers is volume 18 of this series and wow yeah so the each book is about a different style okay they have a book on lagers they have a book on on amber ales they have a book on stouts they have a book on porters they know every style and every uh you know major technique has uh, a book that is like this uh kind of goes into at least the the smoked one which is what i have exposure to kind of told you the history about it went into the techniques and then the rest of the book was recipes and thoughts on making smoked beers. Um, so I'm assuming the style kind of remains the same across the series. That so you're going to have the se- like for example, you'd have the um, the history of say a porter, and then you'd have the different techniques, and then the different recipes towards the end. So the other part I like about these books, they're basically pocket sized. You know, they're about they're about four or five inches tall and, you know, about two or three inches wide. Um, so they're pocket size. So you can take them with you easily and be able to read them on the go. That's great. Uh, one thing I'll add, um, outside of books, my go-to medium for knowledge really is podcasts. And I listen to podcasts for a number of different subjects and homebrewing has become one of them. Um, I'm going to mention one podcast that's really been a good go-to for me, and it's from and it uh, comes from the maker of uh, some of the software that George and I use for uh, for creation of our uh, of our recipes. It's called Beersmith. Uh, that's an app uh, that's available uh, for iPhone and for uh, for Android devices. And uh, Beers uh, Beersmith has their own uh, podcast as well. It's called uh, Beersmith of Home and Beer Brewing. There's a number of different episodes. I believe it's. Uh, I believe they're at more than a hundred. The host of the uh, of the Beersmith podcast is Brad Smith, who is also the author of a number of books. Um, he has a flagship book, and I'm drawing a blank on the title of it right now. But um, he's a wealth of knowledge on uh, on brewing. And each episode, he has an interview with a different uh, with a different person who has an area of specialty within brewing. Um, that's one of many, many different podcasts that, uh, that talk about home brewing and things you can do to brew better, which is what we all want to do. We, we like brewing and we and all want to make it better. So, I mean, just kind of to continually seek knowledge is really, is really the mindset we all should have. We all, we all should, should have the mindset where we want to do our, do our thing better. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, we have... The books that we talked about here, the How to Brew, Radical Brewing, the Complete Beer Course, and the Classic Beer Style Series. We have the magazine, Brew Your Own, um, Beersmith Podcast, as well as A Nice Place to Brew, and another uh, a number of other ones. 
And, you know, there's there's all kinds of things you can look for. There's audio books on um, brewing and brewing business. Right. And there's um, there's ebooks that, you know, and just if you want to know something, it's out there. Uh, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another wealth of knowledge, and that is um, YouTube. Oh, I'm, it's cool. where, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's where, you know... We learned a number of different techniques. Oh, for sure, um, for sure. The pl- the plate chillers, mm-hmm. um, how to read a uh, gravity meter or a hydrometer, right? Um, you know, and we learned some things about kegging and about. I was going to um, say that was my introduction to kegging. Yeah, was, uh, was those YouTube videos right? So I mean, it uh, it is one of those things that it, you know our our. Uh, hobby or industry or whatever you want to call it is is one of those that is a lot of times done by the nerdy engineer type and so when they learn something cool they want to share it and um the internet has made that extremely easy exactly uh so they tend to share now some of them can be very verbose. You can have some poor production quality, but there there is a number of really good videos out there for learning different techniques. That's a great that's a great point to include. Yeah. So continue to seek knowledge uh, through many different mediums, books, websites, podcasts. Just keep your mind open. It's true. Yeah. 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 So uh, we're gonna we're gonna sign off here in a minute, but uh, I, I think uh, I think maybe we should uh, we should tease a couple of things that uh, that we're working on right now. We uh, mentioned early in the show about the barrel age project. We're gonna be contributing five gallons of our brown ale too. That will age for uh, f- for quite a long time, and we'll we'll taste it at the end of that. Tomorrow we'll be making a cream ale from a recipe that George just put together within the last couple of days. Uh, it's a solid recipe. I think we're gonna have really good results. Uh, from that, um, what am I forgetting here, George? Well, in December, I'm not sure if it will be before or after we record a show. We should be able to have our first taste of our strawberry mead that we put together. Oh, so <laughs> oh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I've I've really had the uh, I've really uh, the temptation has hit me very. Uh, very hard the last couple of days to do an- do another mead <laughs> to do another mead yeah. yes the, yeah, the, the, cha- the challenge is it's now winter time uh, being November of 2015 and good fruit is more difficult to come by right. at, le- at least in a number of forms yeah so um, yeah I, uh, I I need to uh, I need to do some uh, do some reading up on uh, meads and what we can do in the winter time because I want to do it Right. And I have a lot of honey here, so <laughs> we have we have the inventory to to make this come together. Yeah. So. 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 Yeah. Anyways, thank you very much for joining us. We can't we can't wait to uh, continue doing our thing, and we can't wait to continue doing doing more shows as well. So, uh, as our sign off, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. That being said, cheers. cheers.